So with that, let's welcome up our senior pastor, Van Cochran. Thanks, Nick. Don't you like seeing Nick up here? Yeah, I do too. All right. Uh, morning, everyone. I, I, I liked hearing Nick say God's here and things are going to happen today because that, that's, that's the truth. God's presence is here and he desires more than you do to touch your life. And, and whatever you might be coming here struggling with, uh, depression or some... You know, some maybe some sin that you're caught in that you just desperately want to get freed from. He wants you to be free from that far more than you do. And, and there are no barriers between him coming and touching you and giving you freedom. And, 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 and so just have a heart that says, God, I believe you. I believe you're good. And I open my heart to you to receive everything you have for me today. And boy, as we do that, we're going to see God do some powerful things. Okay, so I got this joke from my wife's grandfather. He was Swedish, and they had some ongoing competition between the Swedes and the Norwegians. So I hope these two names I'm going to use are Norwegian names, because that's how the joke goes. Two Norwegians uh, named Sven and Ollie uh, were friends, and Sven went into the hospital. And Ollie was visiting him one day, and Sven looked up at Ollie and said, Ollie, would you be so kind as to go out and find me a yur- the urinal? And, um, and so uh, Ollie runs out of the room, and he you know, knows this is important. This is, sounds kind of like a, almost an emergency, and he finds a nurse, and he runs back with a bedpan, and he hands it to his friend, and Sven looks up at him and says, Ollie, I meant the Vol Street urinal. Okay. I didn't tell it very well, okay? Yeah, I didn't tell it very well. Too many extra words. There's an art to telling jokes. You have to practice ahead. All right, so today what we're going to do, what what I want you to go away from here today understanding is how to receive God's love more freely. And you can. You can receive God's love. And I want you to understand how to receive God's love more freely. I want you to understand how to deal with guilt and shame more fully, more fully, just have it wiped away, guilt and shame. And I want you to go away understanding how to resist temptation more firmly. You, you, can, you can resist temptation. You can do that. And so that, that's where we're headed in this message today. We'll look at those three points later in the message. But to move that direction, we're going to talk about the nature of the Christian and what is a nature and what is our nature and specifically, uh, do we have a sin nature? That's a debate among Christians, but do we have a sin nature? And it changes everything, whether you believe you have a sin nature or you believe you have a righteous nature through Christ. It, but we first, we have to understand what is a nature? What do we mean by that? And to define nature itself, one of the definitions I found was it's an intrinsic quality. An intrinsic quality, that means it's built in. It's like, you know, like TVs come with, uh, with Bluetooth, automatically put into them. And so an intrinsic quality is something we're born with. You're, you're, you, you come with it, you're born with it. Another definition of nature is a genetic inclination, which again uh, it implies that it's something that you're just, you're born with. You don't get to choose it, 
or anything. It's, you're just born with it. Third definition, and I like this one, is an instinctual foundational character. It's, it's instinctual. That means it's not like a conscious thing so much. And it's foundational. That means it's from the very beginning and it is character. And so this idea of nature, this this uh, genetic inclination that we all have becomes really the driving essence, the driving force of who we are because nature is going to move you in a direction. Now, when you think about nature and you you ask about our nature, it's uh, really important to recognize that you can't change your nature any more than you can change your hair from brown to blonde. Well, you can do that, but it's only on the surface, right? 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 It's only on the surface. It's an outside, it's an external change. Your, your hair is the color it is because that's the way you were born. Your eyes are the color they are because you got that at birth. And you get your nature by virtue of birth. Now, in Jeremiah, um, we read this verse, Jeremiah is talking, uh, God speaking to the nation of Israel, and he refers to the Ethiopians. The Ethiopians were an African nation, uh, therefore they had black skin, but Ethiopia and Israel had some, some sense of a relationship. I think that's probably why they used Ethiopia, uh, the Queen of Sheba and, and other connecting points. But he says this, he says, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Then he says, well, of course, the answer to that is a rhetorical question. No, a leopard cannot get up one day and say, I'm tired of spots. I want stripes. And then he just thinks really, really hard and grunts a little bit. And suddenly the spots turn into stripes. Doesn't happen because it's not in his nature. In his nature, it is that he would have spots. And so he says, can an Ethiopian change his skin? Can I change my skin from white to black? Or to yellow or red? No, I can't. You can't do that. Or a leopard in spots. And then he says, neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. And the word accustomed there is a word that at the core it means you're, you're, you have been taught something. And, and when you look at it in context, every word has to be interpreted in context. The parallel thought is nature. And so this thought is also nature. Our nature teaches us to live a certain way. And so he's saying our nature has taught us to live in rebellion against God. And that that's how we're born. And it's something that you and I cannot change. Now, nature is very, very deep. It's almost something that we're unaware of because it's so deep. But uh, it, 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 is, it is something that we, as we grow to understand it, um, it can be subdued, but it can't be changed. Let me illustrate that for you. Um, I, I've read, seen articles in the paper about people who had a boa constrictor attack them, and, and they say, oh, my bo- I, I'm so surprised my boa loved me. You know, I had a relationship with my boa constrictor, and I could tell when I looked into its eyes that it knew who I was, and I knew it, and we had a relationship. And I just want to say, sorry, when that boa constrictor was looking into your eyes, he was sizing you up. He was thinking either you are either too big to swallow or you are dinner. That's all. Why? Because it's in his nature. 
And he's not smart enough to subdue his nature. He's not smart enough to think, this guy takes care of me. And he does feed me. He he brings me those rats and animals, and therefore I don't want to hurt him. No, it's just in his nature to, to, to do what he does. Now, contrast that to a teenage boy who has invited the girl of his dreams to a high school dance, and she said yes, and they're dancing in the middle of the floor, and you finally come to a slow dance where he you know, tentatively puts his hand out, touches her shoulder, and takes her hand. Any of you guys want to tell me what that boy's thinking right now? Okay, we'll just go light on this, all right? He is thinking, I want to kiss this girl. Everything inside him is saying, just envelop her with your arms and kiss her. Now, he's smart enough to know that she might reject his kiss. And if she does that, his friends might see that. And he'll never live it down for the rest, you know, as long as as he's in school. And so he is able to subdue his natural inclination because he's smart enough to see that there are some consequences here that might not, might not be too good for me. Now, I, I share all of this because I want us to understand nature, and I want us to understand this as well, that a lot of Christianity, that's about as far as it goes. When you accept Jesus, you get forgiven for your sins, and you receive power from the Holy Spirit to subdue your sin nature, But at the core, you are still a sinner. You still have a sin nature. You have a darkness at the center of who you are that is a leftover from the kingdom of darkness. You're forgiven, but you're not changed. And what I want to say today is that the Bible teaches that when we receive Christ as our Savior, not only are we forgiven, but we are changed at the very core that darkness is eradicated. It is obliterated. The old nature, the sin nature, was destroyed at the cross. And you receive Christ's righteousness and you become righteous. It's not just something God writes down in the books of heaven and everybody knows it's not really true, but God says, okay, wink, wink, I'm going to call you righteous. No, he actually implants his righteousness into us. So that that old sin nature is gone and we receive Christ's righteousness. Now, that's a dramatic difference between these two viewpoints. On the one hand, if I believe I have a sin nature and and it needs to be subdued, that lends itself to a style of Christianity that is very rules-focused. If, if, if that's the case, then we got to make some rules because if I, you know, as the pastor, if I just let everyone, if I, if I let your sin natures, they'll go wild. You'll do all sorts of stuff. And so we got to have these rules. And then it lends itself also to hard preaching. And I've had ask, people ask me once in a while, you don't preach very hard against sin. Why don't you preach hard against sin? And, and I say, well, I believe salvation means a person is really changed. And I don't have to yell at them. I I have to nurture that out of them. I have to help them get touched with the new creation that they are and yield to the Holy Spirit so he he just from there, new life comes out. And so the the thing at issue here is really significant and really important for every one of us. And I believe also for the advancement of the gospel in this world. Because on the one hand, the message is accept Jesus and be good. And obey the rules. 
And, 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 and I mean, looking at that from the outside, people look at that and they say, what? You mean, I, you know, okay, there's a list here that I can't do this, 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 or this anymore. And yet there's freedom in Christ. And the, the whole thing about the gospel is that we receive freedom, not constriction. I remember once in my first church, a young boy, a teenager named Eddie, his name, Eddie Kiriko. I always liked that name, Eddie Kiriko. It sounded like a, uh, I don't know what, a race car driver or something. But Eddie and his family had come from a church that was much more legalistic than ours. And, and one day I, he and I were going someplace and, and he said, pastor, he said, why don't you tell me whether or not it's okay to wear blue jeans? Because our old church, it wasn't okay. And why don't you tell me what shows to watch on TV? Because at our old church, the pastor told us what shows we were allowed to watch and what shows we weren't allowed to watch. And so he, he had come out of this legalistic system and he was just looking for some, you know, he was confused looking for some boundaries. I said, Eddie, if I tell you all that, then you never have to interact with God yourself. I said, I can't tell you blue jeans or not blue jeans. That's not sin versus not, you know, if you start sinning, if you start sleeping around with girls, I'll tell you, stop that. Because that's clear, it's right. But we, we want to have our hearts oriented towards God in such a way that we recognize who we are and who he is so that he draws out this, this new man that I am, this righteousness that, that I have inside. And so uh, that's what we want to talk about today. And how does that happen? And, and what, what is the solution you know, for all of this? And it really goes back to the very beginning. It starts at the beginning in Genesis one twenty six. It's important that we see this, review this just briefly. Genesis one twenty six. Let's let's read that together. One twenty six. Okay, it says, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion." Them recognize this. God created man as male and female. So let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we're going to make man in our image, he says, and then we're going to give, him a jo- give mankind a job, and that job is dominion. And so image is this, and I get this illustration from Sockham teaching in our School of Kingdom Ministry. If, if I held up a $1 bill and I said, um, who's that on the $1 bill, what would be the answer? George Washington, okay? But it's not literally George Washington, is it? No, it's not. It's an image of George Washington. And so the image of George Washington reminds me of George Washington because I know there were paintings made of George Washington that actually reflected who he was. And so I see his image, and it reminds me of him. So when he says we're created in the image of God, the intent was that when creation looks at us, they would say, that looks like God. Not we are God, but that reminds me of God. Yeah, it makes me think of God when I look at you. Can you picture that? You're one of the angels in heaven, and God has just created man. And, and this angel knows what angels are like. He's seen all these angels and, 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 and all of creation with the angels. And, and then God creates Adam and Eve, and he looks and he says, Whoa, that looks like you. They look like you. And so we were intended to have God's image, to be God's representatives on this earth, to reflect God's, something of God's image and glory to the, to the rest of creation. And the second thing is give them dominion. 
So dominion is a word that we think of, it probably has some negative connotations. You know, it sounds like a domination. But the word dominion here doesn't mean domination. It means care. It means overseeing something and, and taking care of it. And so we originally had, had this responsibility that being in God's image, we were to be God's face to the planet, the creation. And serving here, we were to do God's job on the planet. That's God's intention. So that's important to recognize that God's face to the planet and God's job on the planet, all of that within the context of a loving relationship with God. Now, God put us here, Adam and Eve, as our, as our uh, primal parents in the Garden of Eden. Everything they needed was right there. Everything they needed was right there. He just gave them one restriction, and that was there was one tree in the garden that had death in it. And he said, that tree has death in it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of that tree, you're going to die that day. And so he said, don't eat of that tree. Now, this one simple test was a test of trust. It wasn't a test of raw obedience. It was a test of trust. Do you trust God enough to take him at his word and just stay away from that tree? But what happens is this. As, as this whole story unfolds, by this time, sometime, at some point in time, either before the creation, some people believe it was after creation in response to God creating man, that... Um, that Satan as an archangel became jealous of man being made in God's image and he fell then. But uh, whenever he fell, by this time Satan is a fallen creature and he is intent upon establishing a kingdom of darkness on this, this world, a counter kingdom to God's good kingdom of light. And so Satan comes to Eve in Genesis 3, 1 through 3, and it says, he said to the woman, did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and neither shall you touch it lest you die. All right, notice this. Satan asks a pointed question, but it is not a truthful question because he knows God did not tell them they couldn't eat any tree in the garden. He knows the score here, but he exaggerates in order to engage Eve in conversation. And so Eve comes back to him and says, no, 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 he didn't say we couldn't eat any of them. He just said just the one right in the middle we couldn't eat. And, and what that does is it engages Eve in conversation and it also builds a little bit of trust between Eve and Satan. Because you think of it this way, uh, you know, Satan says, hey, did God tell you, really tell you? I've heard God told you, you can't eat from any of these delicious looking fruit trees. And Eve says, no, 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 just one tree we can't eat from. And Satan says, oh, okay, my bad, my bad. Thank you so much for correcting that. And, and it develops some sense of rapport, but at the very least, Eve is unwisely engaged in conversation with the enemy. And so he goes on to, and by the way, she adds to the injunction she says, we're not allowed to touch it either, but they were allowed. Didn't, Jesus, God didn't say that. God didn't say you can't touch it. He just said you can't eat it. Wouldn't have been wise to touch it, but, uh, but that wasn't part of it. And so Genesis 3, 4, and 5. So now the serpent comes back and says to the woman, you will surely not die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he comes on as this all-knowing person, and I kind of picture it like this, at least for our frame of rest reference so we can grasp what's happening here. He's saying, okay, I know you're new to this Eve. I know you're just created uh, however many days ago. And, um, and, and I've known God a long time, believe me. I've known him a lot longer than you have, and you cannot trust him. You just can't, don't, don't think you can trust him. If you do, you're going to end up in deep stuff. You're going to end up in trouble because you're not going to die. God knows that. He says, in fact, it's going to make you like God's. You're going to be like God if you eat of that tree. And God knows that. And so what's he doing? Well, he contradicts God, but then he does this. He directly attacks God's character, who God is. God really does, he doesn't have your best interest at heart. He doesn't care about you. He has another game he's playing right now, and you're the fodder for that game. Have you ever felt like that? Man, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who themselves have destroyed their lives through doing some criminal act and they're headed to jail where they have been unfaithful to their family and they're, they're facing divorce. And, and they say, why did God let me do this? Well, God didn't let you do that. It's not like God, you know, you, you chose to do that. But there's this implication in this question that God isn't good, that God's going to, he's just going to steer you down the wrong path. And the second thing Satan does is he attacks Eve's character without her even knowing it. She was created in the image of God. She has his image. She already is the face of God on this planet. And Satan is saying, now there's something more. You're not enough. What you believe you are, what God said you are, that's not enough. You can be more. And so based upon those lies, she believes them. And believing these lies, you can't trust God. God's not necessarily good. We don't know what his game really is. And that second one, I'm not enough. You know, what God said I am is not enough. And I need to reach out for something more. Those two things just mess with her mind. And, and she's, now she's reasoning from a false basis. She's moved from truth into falsehood. And now to her, falsehood is truth. Falsehood is what she's going to, th- that's how she's going to make her decisions based on falsehood now. And what that does further is it incites desires in her. She's believed a lie, her mindset shifts, and her desires are inflamed. And so she looks at that tree and she sees that it's appealing and it looks so delicious. And wow, I've got to have that tree. I want that tree. And I want you to recognize this. At this point, they hadn't yet sinned. Eve was righteous at this point. She had an innocent, righteous heart. They had not yet sinned, and yet wrong beliefs that she embraced incited desires and passions within her that led her to do the very thing that would destroy her own life and the life of her posterity. Her son's going to die because of this decision. And yet she thinks she's doing something right and good because it's all based on a foundational lie about who God is and who she is. That's why it is so important that we understand what it means when we come into Christ. 
and that we understand what God's done to change our nature and to make us righteous. Because if I, if I base my thinking on a lie, then I'm going to make decisions that I think are the right decisions, but they're going to be the exactly opposite wrong decisions. And so what we have here then is they take the fruit and um, they ate it. They didn't just touch it. They didn't just smell it. They didn't just lick it. Now, I might have been tempted just to lick it and see what, it, what, it's, t- what it's like. But they, didn't just, they didn't take an apple home or a, whatever it is. I'm sorry, I'm stuck on that apple thing. Whatever the fruit was, they didn't take it home and put it on the mantle. They, they ate it. They ingested it. The very thing that God said possessed death for them, they took it and they took it inside them. That's symbolic of the change it was an internal change. There's a change that occurs when they did that. And we read the, the results of that immediately. It says, the, the, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the first thing is there, Satan said, hey, something's going to happen when you eat that fruit. They ate it and something happened, but it was not what they wanted or not what they expected. And so now they're, they're, they're suddenly they're looking at each other and, and, and they feel ashamed. They can't stand to be looked at. They, they don't want to be exposed. And so they try to cover themselves. And boy, don't we do that today? Isn't that, I mean, that's the basis of, of all religion. And by religion, I mean man's attempts to figure out what we can do to get God's attention. It's all shame-based and it's all trying to deal with stuff on the outside when the problem is on the inside. And so what happens now when God comes? It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they've had this internal change. They're experiencing guilt, which is, guilt is not just a feeling. Guilt is real. It's called culpability. It means I've done something that's wrong and I bear, I bear it. I, I, you know, I'm culpable for that. They have guilt for what they've done, but they're also bearing shame for what they've done. And when God comes, they want to run from him. Now, prior to that, when God came, they ran to him. This, the way he states it, it's the cool of the evening. That simple phrase, doesn't that sound appealing? Uh, you know, I want to be in the cool of the evening. You know, we've worked all day and you're home and, and you sit down on the porch and you listen to the crickets and, and it's nice and it's just relaxing. I, I, I had a friend in my first church, his name was Harlan Pentlow and Harlan had been a farmer all of his life and um, he was still a farmer. He was in his mid eighties, hard as a rock, man. That guy's arms and shoulders were just, he, he still worked a farm. And he made a living by splitting wood and uh, delivering it. And um, he told me once, though, he said when they were young and they, were out, they, they actually lived on a farm, he said in the summer nights, on a warm night, a humid, warm summer night, would sit out in the back porch and would watch the fireflies and listen to the corn grow. <laughs> uh, that might, was my reaction. What? Listen to the corn grow? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, on a warm summer night, the right time of the year, the corn grows so fast, you can hear it cracking and popping, crackling and popping all over the field. Any of you ever experienced that? Okay, some of you have. 
But uh, doesn't that sound sweet? Yeah, no TV. I just want to sit here, watch the fireflies, and listen to the corn pop. And, and God's with me. Yeah, God's there. And he's with me. He's sitting right there between us. Lori's on one side, I'm on the other, and he's right there. And so here, here we have that. That's what Adam and Eve had. But now when God comes, instead of running towards him, they run from him out of shame. And you see, it's the shame and the guilt that, um, that, that keep us from experiencing uh, God's love. And I think it's more the shame than the guilt because we have a theology that deals with the guilt. Jesus died for our sins and he paid the price for the sins. And so the guilt, I mean, if you really understand that, the sense of culpability is gone. Jesus took care of it. I'm, I don't, I'm not going to have to pay for that. He took care of it. But if I believe I have a fallen, dark nature, or if I believe that half of my heart is black and half of it is good, uh, that, that there's this darkness in me, then that produces shame. And, and I am going to live with a sense of inadequacy and a sense of, of just not believing God could really fully, totally love me. And then it's that wrong belief, just like Eve's wrong beliefs led her to the wrong decision. That wrong belief then blocks me from experiencing God's love and kindness and goodness in, in a real profound way that, that he wants us to, in a deep way that he wants us to. Because you see, the problem's not external, it is internal. That's why Jesus said that a tree's gonna be known by its fruit. You know, an orange tree uh, doesn't produce apples because it has the root, the nature of an orange tree. An apple tree doesn't produce pears because its nature controls what it does. And he says in the same way, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And it's out of the heart that evil comes, murders, and, and all of the rest. And so the, the problem is internal, and God's intent is to change that, to fix that. That's what he's done. He didn't just forgive. You know, you can be forgiven. And, and in the Old Testament, they were forgiven. Animal sacrifices, their sins were lifted. Now, I know there's theology that says they were rolled ahead, if you're into that. But irrelevant. Their sins were taken off them. They no longer bore them, but their hearts weren't changed. And God says, look, the day's coming when I'm going to change your heart. I'm not just going to take care of your sins, wipe your sins away. I'm going to change your heart. And that powerful, powerful truth in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27. He says here, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, I know we think of flesh as, you know, not being good. But in this context, stone versus flesh is a good thing, okay? It's an illustration. I'm going to give you a, a living heart is what he's saying. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so here he's saying, the day's coming when, this, when my plan comes to full fruition, when you'll not only be forgiven for your sins, but you are going to be changed. Your heart is going to be new. Your heart is going to be different. And my spirit's going to be in you working in a new vessel, a new heart. 
The Holy Spirit's not going to be in there just trying to subdue the darkness, trying to take care of the old man, the old nature, the sin nature. The Holy Spirit's going to be in there to light a fire in that new heart. And that's what God's intent has been all along. Now, you see that uh, reflected in the New Testament when in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was an early follower of Jesus, he's wrote a lot of the New Testament. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what he's saying, now listen, this has to be read right after the creation story. Because he's talking about the old creation came through Adam and Eve and their sin. That was a, now there's a new creation. When you accept Jesus, just like God created Adam and Eve, just like he took a handful of dust and he created Adam, just like he took that rib out of Adam and he created Eve, when you receive Jesus in the same very exertion of power, there is a new creation that comes into, into existence. He creates something totally new, fresh. He doesn't just revise the old. He doesn't just cram something new down into the old. And so that, well, you know, I had this dark heart and now God pushed some light down into it. So I've got this mixed heart now. He doesn't do that. No, it is new. You are new when you receive Christ. You're a new creation. And look at, look at 2 Corinthians 5.21 to follow that up. It's right, right just a little later in the same passage. And in 521, it says this, he, meaning God, made him who was Jesus, him who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned in his entire lifetime. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, this is, this is, this is, goes beyond a depth that any of us are going to plumb for the rest of our lives. When Jesus hung on the cross, he didn't just provide a payment. He became sin. He became sin. I don't know what that's, I mean, I don't know how that can be, but he became sin so that you, and I don't know how I could become new. I don't know how I could become righteous, but if Jesus could become sin, then somehow in, in the mystery of God's work that there can be an exchange taking place then, and I can become righteous. So I get his righteousness. He takes my sin and he gives me his righteousness. So you don't have a sin nature, you have a righteous nature. Your, your nature now is lined up with God, your core identity. That's why you desire to do right. That's why you desire to be free. That's why when you do falter, you feel so bad about it. You know, before I was saved, I did stuff that I didn't, I didn't blink an eyelash at. I, it didn't, didn't bother me one bit. Man, if I did some of that stuff now, I would not sleep. It's because I'm new. I'm a different person. I don't have any of that, that, that old stuff. The darkness there is gone. And when we begin to realize that, it, it just sets us free. So one more verse I want to show you. Second, Romans 6, 6 says this. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would be no longer be enslaved to sin. When I, inha- when I got that sin nature from Adam and Eve, I was enslaved to sin. That was my nature, just like, you know, the, uh, j- just like an animal in the wild has a nature. And, and yet, when Jesus died on the cross, 
in some way, God destroyed my old nature. He obliterated my sin nature when Jesus died at the cross so that I'm no longer a slave of sin. I'm a slave of righteousness. And that means there has been this phenomenal, dynamic, uh, earth-shaking thing happen inside of me to change me. And, and if you know Jesus, to change you so that you have a new heart, you are new. The, the body of sin has been done away with. We're no longer enslaved to sin. The old self was crucified. Now, of course, the question is, why do we still sin? Well, why did Eve sin? Did Eve have a righteous nature when she sinned? I've already pointed that out. Yes, she did. She believed the wrong things. She had, her mind was twisted. And she, she accepted a wrong basis of life and a wrong mentality about life, a wrong worldview. And because of that, desires were inflamed and, and she stepped into sin. So if she could sin with, a, with having a righteous nature, then you and I can. Now the difference is that because it's Christ's righteousness that we have, we can't lose it. Because it's his Christ, righteousness and because he, he did a finished work on the cross we can't lose that righteousness that we have, even when we sin. But I believe the wrong thing about God. If I believe that I need your absolute respect, and you come up and, and, and point out something about my message, let's say Ollie and Sven aren't really Norwegian names, they're really Swedish names. But if I believe that, boy, everybody's, I gotta be right all the time. I can't make mistakes, and and you need to hide my mistakes because I'm going to be ashamed of them if you point them out to me. And you come up and you say, hey, hey, Van, Ollie and Sven are really Swedish names. Ha ha. And, and if I believe all that other junk, then I might smile at you and go away and think, oh, I'm a failure. Do you ever experience that? Just some small thing like that because you believe the wrong thing. But if, if it's okay to laugh at myself, and I don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect. I don't have to be. And... and uh, yeah, that's funny. I got that wrong, didn't I? It's okay. And it's fine for you to point it out to me because I love you and, 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 I, and I want a closer relationship with you. If, if those are my foundational thoughts, then I respond a different way. But it, it is our thinking. And listen, next week, Dave King's going to give a message on how identity relates to spiritual growth. Okay, Dave's, that's really Dave's alley, and it's going to be a great message. The week after that, Luke Hazelmeyer is going to give a message on how this all relates to facing temptation and, and facing the desires that are inflamed by the wrong thoughts that we have. But I want to say this is not something that just turns around overnight. I mean, th these are foundational things we learn right now, but then rooting out the wrong systems of thinking. That takes time. That's growth. That's spiritual growth, is rooting out those wrong systems of thinking, correcting them. But one of the things it means is, wherever I grew up, whatever I was taught, whatever theology I have as my background, whatever my family system was that I grew up in, I need to lay that all on the line, and I need to say, God might be wrong. God, I'm sure all of it isn't wrong, but some of it's wrong. And I need to learn, and I need you to show me. What, you know, what did I learn about you know, the town I grew up in that was a wrong way of life? What have I learned from my family? You know, what, what are things that need to change so I can line up with kingdom thinking? Because that's how we grow spiritually, is when kingdom thinking, not just in a technical sense of, of the right words and sentences being in our brains, but when the Holy Spirit takes them and, and just fuses them into our being. And then my mind is thinking kingdom and my heart is pounding kingdom. My heart's beating kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. 
and my mind starts doing the same thing. And, and that's when my life is in sync and I begin to move ahead. So um, receiving God's love, this is going to come up in, in, in future messages as well. As long as I believe that I have darkness in my heart, that I have at least a portion of me is still my sin nature, then I am never going to believe that God can fully approve of me or fully love me because God cannot approve of sin. Does that make sense? And at the very least, when I sin, I'm going to think, oh my, God can't be pleased with me right now because I just sinned. And, and what that does is it makes it so hard for us to receive his love. You know, it's, it's easier to give love than to receive love. And that's especially true, I believe, with God. It's easier for us to say, oh God, I love you, I love you, I love you. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is he loves me and I can receive his love. And then when I say back to him, I love you, it has meaning. And so when I begin to realize I'm new, I'm new, I'm new all the way through, I'm righteous, then God, you love me. I can't understand. You love me and I can receive that love. We're not just talking about receiving it intellectually. We all need the experience of God's love. When it talks about that you might know the love of God, uh, it's talking about an experience of God's love. Yeah, I have to believe it, but I I want to experience it too. And the verse here, Romans 5, Holy Spirit pours out. The word means gushes. The Holy Spirit in us gushes out the love of God like a fire hydrant being opened and just gushing out. That's what it's like. So some people think that love is, um, you know, the highest degree of love is not experiential. I don't really need to have an experience with God because I believe in him and I have his word and I read the Bible. That would be like me saying, well, I have all of my wife's letters from when we were engaged and I, I know she loves me and she knows I love her. So honey, uh, we're not going to talk anymore. No more hugs, no kisses because we're going to enter into a higher level of love that doesn't require the support of experience. I mean, that's ridiculous. I want to know it, and I want to experience it both. And, and I, I just pray that you will be able to experience the love of the Father, where the Holy Spirit, you just feel him in the room. You feel him. You feel, it, it's not like just being excited because the Bengals won the Super Bowl. It's not like watching a fireworks and being inspired by the fireworks and the music, and oh, I'm so charged up, and that's so wonderful. It's not like that. It can be the quietest thing in the world, but you just sense, God, I can sense you're here. There's something different. I can sense you're here. And and that's, that's just him pouring his love out on us. And I pray that will be for everyone in this room. Second thing is um, that we can deal with guilt and shame more fully. Well, when I know I'm new, then the shame thing is something that, that can be dealt with. The guilt is dealt with through the cross. Uh, but the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, I want that verse just to become part of my life, my heart, my thinking. And when the enemy brings accusation against me, and man, you failure, you didn't live up to what you said, you didn't do what you told me you were going to do 20 years ago, you didn't love your kids right, you were a bad parent, you know, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. We just say, wait a second, this cannot be God. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I would just flat out say, Satan, be gone. Go. And so there's freedom from, from guilt and shame. But, but if, I, if I think I'm dark on the inside, then I'm confused and I'm not quite sure. And, 
yeah, maybe, maybe God is a little bit mad at me, and maybe I am insufficient. But when I realize I'm new, then that, that reverses. And then to resist temptation more firmly, that's going to come up more in upcoming weeks. But just let me say, it's your identity in Christ that enables you to stand against temptation. When someone comes knocking on your door and says, I have a bill for Joe Snigglesworth," and you, you know, this, uh, this is the address I have for him, you owe me this money. That's like Satan coming to you and tempting you to do something and saying, you can't resist this. You just get out your ID and you say, man, no one, no one by that name lives here. This is me. You've got the wrong place and the wrong identity, the wrong person. And you're, you're, you're just saying to Satan, Satan, I'm a new creation. I'm new. So take a hike. And it gives us power and strength to say no to temptation. So um, Nick's going to come up and lead us in the next part of our service right now. We have great worship here today and um, look forward to everything God wants to do. You know, I've said this before, but I want to repeat it. We are one generation, all of us living together today, right now, okay? Whether you're 70 or you're 20, this is a generation. And and one of the things God's doing here is raising up a generation to change the world. Okay, not just here, other places in the world too, other places in this city, but he's doing that here. And uh, I'm I'm excited to be part of it. Um, We talked a lot about Jesus today and what it means if if you've accepted Jesus but I want to give any of you who are here who haven't yet opened your heart to Jesus an opportunity to do that, okay? And I'm just going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. Praying it out loud would be awesome. Uh, encourage the people around you, but you can pray it silently to yourself too. But then I am going to ask you to raise your hand and tell me you did it, okay? Because uh, it takes boldness and courage to do that, and, and boldness and courage are, are one, of the, one of the pieces of faith, okay? So... Um, If you want to receive Jesus right now, just pray like this. I'll give you the idea to communicate, and you communicate it to God. But uh, Father God, thank you for your goodness. Tell him that. Thank you that you're not mad at me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Come into my life. And not only forgiveness, but change me. Give me your life, Jesus. Your righteousness. And and, and I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, you know, when Wilson's up here, my son, and he does this, there's six or eight people that stick their hand up. That's because he's an evangelist, all right? That's not my main gifting, but I'm going to ask right now, did anyone pray that prayer for the first time today? Okay, I see one hand back there. That is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, they're all clapping for God, but they're clapping for you too. And uh, so welcome. Uh, Make sure you come up, and and I want to talk to you before we're done. I will give you a Bible and and a couple of other things, so make sure you come up. Now, anybody else? Anyone else? 
Okay. Awesome. Awesome. We had one person in the first service too, so that's awesome. Now, um, I believe God wants to just pour his love out on people and start doing that. And if you've been having a hard time receiving God's love, I think he wants you to have a day of breakthrough today where you, where you just feel his presence. It's like getting a hug from your father. But, um, I'm going to say a prayer to that effect here in a moment, but come up and let the prayer team pray for you. Okay. And they're just going to pray just simply Holy spirit, reveal your love, reveal your love. And, um, further any healing needs, we want to pray for you for knees, broken knees, backs, migraine headaches, any, uh, chronic or genetic orders. And I think especially just saying that genetic disorders, since we talked about nature today, I think God wants to touch some people, not just, not just like he just touched our friend back here and changed his spiritual nature, but he wants to change some, some genetic conditions and heal them. And so come up for prayer for that. And we, I'm going to pray just a, a prayer for freedom from shame over the whole group, okay? And, and that's a big part of us just receiving God's love. But um, just hold your hands out, especially if you feel like you need this particularly. Shame is, comes from a feeling of inadequacy. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, there's something wrong with me. So Father, right now, uh, Jesus, you dealt with guilt and shame at the cross, with the guilt by paying for our sins and with the shame by taking out that sin nature, by destroying it at the cross and by implanting into us a new nature, your nature, a righteous nature. And so I pray right now a breaking off of shame from people all across this room, uh, whether it's shame that, w- that comes from words spoken to you by a parent that said, you're not enough, you'll never succeed. We just break that shame off you right now in Jesus' name. Or it's shame that maybe a spouse or a former spouse spoke to you and said, you will never be able to uh, please a woman. You'll never be able to relate to a man. I break that off you right now in Jesus' name. I break that shame off you. Maybe you have lost a job, but in the process of leaving that job, there were words spoken to you that were curses over you, that you'll never have the career you want. I, I, I break that lie off of you, and I break the shame off of you that lingers with those words. And so freedom, freedom, Holy Spirit, freedom to walk in the fullness of who we are. So Holy Spirit is just an anointing that's going to carry throughout this week on every person here to experience more and more and more of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, prayer teams, uh, come on up. And if you'd like prayer, make your way up here. If you're not going to receive prayer, just move back a ways to talk so they can have it quiet up here, okay? Great to see you. We'll see you next week.